Well, for folks who are really immersed in the city uh, and know that we have all the characteristics to really have limitless potential as it relates to, you know, where our country, where our economy is going. I mean, look, to the east, we have the, the ocean. To the west, we have the mountains. Four international airports within uh, 100 uh, miles. Uh, when, when you talk about our cultural institutions, when you talk about our healthcare institutions, when you talk about our history, our culture, um, our housing stock, I mean, literally Baltimore City, if you mapped all that out on paper, um, you know, is, uh, you know, this like really beacon of an ideal city. Welcome to Center Maryland's The Lobby Pod. We are graced with one of Baltimore's stars, really a, a beacon of transparency and government accountability. You've known him as a city council person, as a state delegate. Uh, now he is the city council president of Baltimore City. Nick Mosby, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Damon. Mr. President, Baltimore City is seeing a lot of public momentum, whether it's the GDP numbers in Atlantic being second best only to Loudoun County or uh, the top ranking for the New York Times as one of the best places to visit, or the recent uh, federal tech hub designation. Uh, love to hear your take on all that's going on in Baltimore. Well, for folks who are really immersed in the city uh, and know that we have all the characteristics to really have limitless potential as it relates to you know where our country, where our economy is going. I mean, look, to the east, we have... The, the ocean to the west, we have the mountains, four international airports within uh, 100 uh, miles. Uh, when, when you talk about our cultural institutions, when you talk about our healthcare institutions, when you talk about our history, our culture, um, our housing stock, I mean, literally Baltimore City, if you mapped all that out on paper, um, you know, is, uh, you know, this like really beacon of an ideal city. Now, you know, some of the systemic issues that are always coming to the forefront, particularly when we talk about it uh, from a national and local media perspective, you know, is there and is always glaring. But you see this kind of uh, tug and pull between the two. You know, I, I'm excited uh, that, you know, uh, you know, the New York Times, you know, is listing Baltimore City as a place for folks to travel to. I'm excited uh, when we hear about our GDP numbers and we know that the growth of our economy is there, particularly coming out of the um, the pandemic. And I'm so excited about the Tech Hub designation uh, and what that could become as it relates to particularly our central business district uh, and really developing pathways of success in industry uh, in Baltimore um, in a different uh, uh, realm that we have used to that, that we're typically known for. So, you know, all those things are amazing, um, but they're also the things that we know about our city. The, the one thing I think we struggle with, Damien, is packaging that um, and, and really providing that narrative uh, in a way where we're communicating. We're being very intentional. You know, I think that the city for a very long time has struggled in doing that successfully. Uh, and it's critical for us to tell our own story. And clearly those three things are part of it. You, uh, as your role as the, the city council president, uh, have have sort of two big jobs, maybe, as I see it. One is managing all the legislation from the council members, new laws for the municipality, et cetera. 
And then oversight and accountability of the way the city government works. You've been a real groundbreaker in transparency and government accountability. Can you talk a little bit about those two roles? And if I got that wrong, I, I can stand corrected as well. As always, Damien, you hit it off the park. No, I mean, that's the main like core competency of the job is to ensure from a legislative economy perspective and the structure and the, the governments and decorum of the council that it's all stood intact. Uh, and, you know, I think that we've done a really good job. You know, I really came in you're really pushing this idea of professionalizing uh, the council in a way that the council just simply was not structured. You know, one quick example, you know, when I took over the council, uh, we have 15 council members and we had 13 committees. Um, basically everybody was a committee chair uh, except wow. for one person on the council. And, you know, your experience in Annapolis, you know, you know, and my experience in Annapolis, you know, I came from, uh, the, 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 um, the, uh, the, uh, as a delegate, you know, we had 141 members and six working committees. Uh, so, you know, when you have committees that are comprised of just three members and two folks can literally move a bill, a really important bill, like a charter amendment onto the floor for second reader. That's unacceptable. Um, so we really wanted to kind of bring that back so we can have that appropriate um, discourse uh, and discussion and debate uh, about these really critical issues. And that's why we ultimately structured the council. And if you see the way the council kind of structure, it's kind of modeled off of uh, the structure uh, of Annapolis. So, again, professionalizing in a way was, was really, really important. Uh, another thing that, you know, this is the first year in 125 years where the council had the ability of not only cutting from the mayor's budget, but also redirecting money inside of the mayor's budget. Uh, and with that new awesome ability, it's really important that we have the skill set, uh, the experience and expertise on the council to help to support that role uh, that the residents have given us. So um, not only, you know, brought in a fiscal uh, a, a director to ensure that we're engaged with finance on a regular basis and turn the uh, budget process from just a couple weeks to 52 weeks, uh, a year-long process, but also created a new committee called Finance and Performance uh, to really dig into the audits, to really uh, work with the agencies from a a, a performance and fiscal perspective of ensuring that we're prepared for that budget process. So really excited about some of the momentum that we've had there about professionalizing uh, uh, the council in a way. Now, on the other side, the, the board of estimates, you know, what I've really pushed there is is really trying to analyze some of the decision making uh, that's been happening. I know some of the key decisions that folks are probably aware of, if you keep in, 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 in tune with 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 the uh, the inner workings of city government. But, you know, like the BG&E conduit issue or the 83 uh, camera contract issue or even CFG arena, you know, was able to really provide some critical insight uh, into like, what are we doing here and why are we making these decisions? The one thing I'll constantly say, and I'm gonna close out this, this answer is, you know, we have to do, become better stewards of our revenue. Um, and every time we give away revenue, whether it's $50,000 or $50 million, it goes into uh, kind of, you know, the things that we could do to better and uplift uh, and propel our city forward. So been been really, really critical on a board of estimates about um, ensuring that we protect the revenue that we have and ensuring that we're doing the best in class type of service as it relates to evaluating these RFPs and bidding out on contracts uh, here in the city of Baltimore. On the legislative side, we've, we've heard a lot about your efforts uh, on inclusionary zoning or in inclusionary zoning and local control. Can you talk to our audience a little bit about what you're facing there? Yeah, I mean, so again, I mean, I, I, I will say the first three years have been nothing short of historic 
as it relates to some of the legislation, you know, or, or some of the first, you know, I talked about the first time in 125 years that the city council, you know, ha has had the ability of not only cut, but redirect money uh, in the the, 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 the mayor's budget. And we did that with right. like 20 in the tune of $20 million. But when you talk about local control, the city has not had local control of its police department since the civil war. And, you know, that was really important work that had to happen, that had to be done. You know, I'm excited about um, the way we worked with the local uh, board uh, uh, commission, the way that we work with our partners in Annapolis and our city delegation uh, and the bill that we ultimately developed and came up with uh, to finally give local control back to the city of Baltimore. It will be on the November um, uh, 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 a ballot initiative. Uh, I have full expectation that, you know, that will pass and we'll move forward. So really excited there. The next big thing that you brought up is from inclusionary housing perspective is uh, another thing that's historic. I mean, look, in 17 years, we've had inclusionary housing in the city of Baltimore, and it's produced like 32, maybe 34 units of inclusionary housing. I mean, just completely unacceptable if we're really serious about ensuring that public dollars that come from taxpayers' dollars uh, should open up new projects to, you know, everyday working class folks throughout our city. And I'm excited about the bill that we ultimately came up with. Now, it comes with a, a price tag, uh, but it comes with a price tag, particularly in the right direction, as it relates to dismantling some of the failed policy that we've seen and we've had in the past. So, again, from a legislative side perspective, you know, extremely uh, historical things have happened, uh, particularly over the past uh, year. And, you know, we'll continue to look to continue to push the ball forward. I think some of the things that we're really looking after and you'll see over the next couple months is some charter amendment. Uh, and the Charter Commission is currently working to ensure that, you know, government is of right size as it relates to uh, the autonomy and the power and the structure of government. Uh, and, you know, we look to continue to work with uh, the administration and look, work with our partners, uh, as well as with the commission on some of the charter uh, review uh, questions. You've been a big hero for Baltimore, uh, son of Baltimore, who went on uh, through your legislative efforts to to really save Freak mistakes in Baltimore. You have. I didn't know you were gonna bring that up, man. And people always <laughs> forget about all the that work around Preakness. But I, I appreciate the question. But but yeah, yeah, pre Preakness near and dear. So excited about the Preakness, and you know, you know, I, I can remember when you know I went down to Laurel and you didn't really know how it was going to turn out. You know, I actually missed the floor that day to go do that. I walked the the campus of of, of Laurel, the racetrack, with the county executive, uh, Stuart Pittman. Uh, and, you know, it was every camera from D.C. to Baltimore was there. But I was really just calling out and trying to expose, I guess, the working conditions and what Annapolis with the state taxpayers had been doing for that particular facility and what we were not getting in Pimlico. And I knew that if we didn't um, seriously halt it at that time, at that session, uh, that the Preakness was going to be gone for Baltimore forever. And I, I never forget uh, going into that session, um, the Baltimore Business Journal, it was at a... Um, at a forum or a panel that I was on and the question was asked, so what about the, the Preakness? And I said, you can mark my word, the Preakness is staying in Baltimore. And, and, and when I left there, Damien, I got all these text messages and calls once that article came out. Like, what are you doing? You don't have the ability to uh, guarantee that the Preakness is staying in Baltimore. So, you know, I look forward to, to taking that article and, and, and putting that plaque on my wall. But no, that, that is probably one of the biggest things that, 
you know, I, I'm excited about about being in a position to serve the citizens of Baltimore. But what I've been able to do was literally be an integral part in, in ensuring that the Preakness stays in Baltimore, um, you know, literally forever uh, and, and for a host of different reasons. I mean, when you look at, you know, Park Heights community, having Pimlico as like just dark track. Uh, and what it would mean to public safety and, and issues and concerns um, uh, as it relates to economic development there is problematic. Um, when we talk about jobs and we talk about just the energy of the city, uh, when we talk about that that international exposure, again, you know, telling our story every single year, you know, to cameras all across the world uh, showing Baltimore in this positive light, you know, something that was really, really important to me. Uh, happy to be an um, uh, uh, integral part in saving it and so excited to see the Preakness here I mean for for, for you, lead, you aren't the integral part. You were the leader. And what, what blows my mind is thinking about a young Nick Mosby at Baltimore Polytechnic Institute. You think you think that young Nick Mosby ever looked at his 16, 17-year-old buddies and said, you know, Maryland's greatest day right down the road, the community inputs that are all going to be made uh, for the neighborhoods now. You ever You ever think of yourself – at that age, being the guy that saved Preakness, you know, right Hell down no. the road from the high school, not not at all. I, I was I was I was struggling in short. I stayed at Poly and got the grades because you know I wasn't prepared to go into a school like Poly for my middle school and my elementary school and focus on trying to be the first person uh, in my family to go away to college. So those, but but if you told that sixteen year old boy that one day you're gonna save the Preakness and the Preakness is gonna be here. Until you're gone, until your children are gone, and for years and years to come, I, I wouldn't have never imagined that uh, in a million years. But again, thankful for the opportunity to be put in that place. And, and, and just thankful, you know, I guess for the village I had around me to have the courage to do so. Um, because we were going up against, you know, literally a, a, a billionaire, you know, and, 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 and tens of dozens of, lo of lobbyists in Annapolis. Uh, and it was a tough fight. There were some tough discussions behind uh, closed doors in the working meetings. There was, you know, tough, tough emails. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I, I am happy of the decision that I took forth and I, and, I, and I took a bold decision to step forth with it and, and just thankful for the opportunity to do so uh, for the city that I absolutely love. I got another one for you. You know, I'm a, I'm a Mount St. Joe guy, uh, but there's no there's no Baltimore school I have more respect for than Holly. But I got another angle for you. You're don't, a... don't talk about the Poly City football game and how we've lost the past twelve years. <laughs> I won't get into that. Okay, all but right. Let's uh, let's go back a little bit too. So you graduate from Poly. You're now yep. at uh, Tuskegee University, probably one of the most famous uh, universities, if not most famous HBCU out there. And and your buddies come up to you and say, you know what, Nick, one day. You're going to be like the lead host of the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association basketball tournament that's going to be based in a brand new uh, facility in downtown Baltimore, working with greats like Zach McDaniels. Do you, I mean, did you ever see that? Couldn't imagine that in a, in a million years either. I mean, you know, I, it, it's funny, the CIAA, uh, you know, because it, it, it was pretty much based in Charlotte. Uh, and it was huge down south. I mean, you know, folks would drive up from Florida, from Georgia, I mean, from all over, you know, huge. And, you know, when, you know, uh, uh, I visit Baltimore and Al Hutchinson and 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 um, Zach was able to kind of get the contract, you know, people didn't really get what 
bringing CIAA to Baltimore was. And then, you know, that first year was all virtual because of COVID. Then the next year, people are saying like, hey, can we come to Baltimore? Is it going to be safe? Are they going to have adequate facilities? You know, you know, all this, the silly questions that were out there. And then again, that proof of concept worked. And then the next year, it like literally multiplied. You know, I can only imagine this year, you know, knock on wood, great weather. Um, but the experience, not only to the student athletes, to the alum that are now coming from the north, because, you know, you know, in, in, in a lot of these historically black colleges and universities in the deep south, you know, that was a time, uh, you know, where they have, you know, uh, a generation of folks that are connected to those universities because they couldn't go to other colleges around them. They just weren't allowed, you know, not even just postgraduate, you know, from an undergraduate perspective, but even undergraduate degrees. So, you know, many of the uh, 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 strong alums are in the New England or New York or Jersey like region and, you know, driving down or flying down to Charlotte was one thing, but now taking a three hour, four hour travel down to Baltimore uh, and being immersed uh, in, in their school spirit and into this conference, it, it's just like the perfect, perfect location. Again, the geographical location of our city from the North and the South uh, and to see that grow and to be part of it. You know, every time I get to, to just witness all the folks converge in the city, uh, for a couple of days, uh, uh, and and, and uh, it, it's really exciting. I, the 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 one thing I'd say, Damien, and and the biggest thing is the first year it came and we were alive and we were open. Um, there was a downtown merchant who had absolutely nothing to to know about the CIAA. I mean, this merchant could be so far disconnected to historically black colleges and universities or knowing what a CIAA was. It was really interesting. But I was standing in line at the bank, and it was the the week following it. And she was talking to somebody on the phone that she had had her best week weekend since she's been open. And she said, I had no idea where all these people came from, had no idea, you know, what this what this basketball tournament was. I just thought it was a college basketball tournament. And we were going to do OK. But she was like, it blew my numbers out the water. And those are the stories that we have to really capture. But more importantly, why we have to continue to fight to bring, you know, major events to the city of Baltimore that, again, we've proven that we can host uh, in a very skillful, productive uh, and exciting manner. And, uh, you know, that's what gets me excited. But, no, you couldn't have told that kid at Tuskegee University, electrical engineer major, that he was going to be electrical engineer and then decide to take this crazy task of be taking on public service and ultimately become city council president uh, when the CIAA hits Baltimore city. Um, but, you know, truly, truly blessed to have the opportunity to do so and thankful uh, to be in a position to, to, to continue to, to push the city forward. My granddaddy's law partner was the city council president under mayor Du Burns. He, he got pulled up out of the third district, Frank Gallagher. And so he would caution me, Damien, you can't make any demands on the city council president, but you could ask nicely. And, I, you know, this point you made about the merchant, you know, we're seeing as a public affairs firm, we've we've gotten hired by one of the uh, top buildings really in the mid-Atlantic, one South Street where Gephardt Smith and Billy Murphy's firm and all these great companies are there. I'd love you to come by there. It's right next to City Hall. I'd love you to come by there and check out what your progress means on the office front because those people are putting in new parking, new security. They're having giveaways for tenants. They're having parties in the lobby. And, you know, between what you're doing in the government, what the Ravens and the Orioles are doing on the field, there's a ton of energy in this downtown business community. Uh, I'd love for you to come come down, check us out there, and uh, also love for you to – 
to share with our audience any other places they uh, should be looking uh, when they come and visit Baltimore? No, consider consider it done. You know, really excited to to to, to come out and and, ch- and check it out. And and what about those Ravens, man? So you know, excited about you know where where Lamar and the team takes us this year. Um, but you're right. Every time we chip away of just the public perception of, you know, you know, I, you know, first thing you hear when you go out of town, where you're from Baltimore, oh, the wire, the wire, the wire, the wire, you know, the wire, how some of that storyline uh, is etched into, um, I guess, you know, our history, you know, our past, you know, from the news perspective, you know, our city is much more dynamic than that. Uh, and our culture is such more uh, a, a broader uh, than that. Um, but it's up to us again, up to us to tell our story. When I talk to small business owners, when I talk to residents, when I talk to folks that have amazing experiences in Baltimore, I say, don't be selfish and just travel around and and not promote the city of Baltimore. It's up to all of us collectively uh, to assure Amen. that folks understand and know um, that this is the the best thing smoking definitely on the East Coast. Um, when we talk about opportunities from small businesses, to, to home ownership, uh, to, to, to just expanding a business. Um, there is no place like it in the, in, 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 on the East coast and, um, you know, Baltimore's wide open and we got to continue to push that, but it's going to take all of us, you know, not just elected officials, not just great PR, uh, uh, uh firms <laughs> and, and folks like yourself, but it's going to take the average everyday, uh, uh, folks that once you get on that plane, you go somewhere else, Tell people how great Baltimore is, how amazing the city is, uh, and not to just read sometimes national headlines um, about what's going on and what's occurring. He's Nick Mosby. He's the Baltimore City Council president, former councilman himself, and uh, former state delegate and uh, savior of the Preakness Stakes. Thanks so much for joining us, Mr. President. Thanks for having me on, Damien. Anytime. Look forward to connecting. You got it. Thanks so much.